I am Sharon Cameron, and I'm a writer. I have five books published with um, Scholastic Press, uh, The Dark and Winding, A Spark Unseen, Rook, The Forgetting, and The Knowing. And I have a new book coming out in 2020 called The Silence Above Us. Um, and, you know, all of those are for ages maybe 12 and up or 14 and up, though I would say that maybe 60, 75% of my readers are adults. Um, I think I tend to write pretty much for everybody. If you're into books and story, then you're probably maybe into what I like to write about. So, Absolutely. And at one point in your life, did you decide, I know a lot of our, our listeners are probably creative types themselves. At one point in your life, did you decide that you wanted to become a writer and how did that come about? Um, well, actually, that's um, a lot of what I'm going to talk about um, today as far as my um, talk about uh, creativity and sort of how that comes about, because it came about probably um, in a di very different way um, than I think for most writers, um, because this was not um, something that I had thought I would do from a child or, you know, it was it was very much a left turn um, in my life, so... Yeah, I think um, I think sometimes people get a later start, and I think that's perfectly okay. Yeah, yeah it it definitely it definitely worked that way. It definitely worked that way for me. So yeah, and I see that you're a Nashville native, and we have listeners from all over the state with a lot of different kinds of experiences. Um, <laughs> Nashville has certainly gone through a lot of changes, but what? What kinds of things have, have you noticed have been the biggest kinds of change since since you've been um, here your whole life? <laughs> besides besides the traffic, which everybody <laughs> everybody like which everybody likes to talk about, you know, for me there have not been a lot of changes really. Um, because I, I live on the same street that I grew up on. Um, my entire family lives here. My my father, my siblings, aunts, uncles on both sides, grandparents, it's, it's like a small compound. So, so for here, if my dad could put a gate up at the end of our street, he absolutely, <laughs> he absolutely would. So, so for me, it's actually strangely the same. Um, I live in a house that my dad built, that I remember when it was being built um, as a child. So it's um, it really, for me, not a lot has changed in, in my little corner of Nashville. I think that's a rarity for Nashville, especially it as, is. as it comes to it now. It really is, yes. And obviously, you probably, even though you came to writing a little later in your life, um, you always considered yourself creative. Um, what what goes on when you're coming up with a new idea, and how do you really start to bring that to fruition? Um, again, a huge part of of what I'm going to talk about in creativity, but but I can say. You know that that for me, it really has everything to do with what I am personally excited about. Um, it and a lot of times those are things that aren't exciting to anyone else. But I think that's actually the beauty of creativity is you know taking these things that no one else has ever heard of or thought that they cared about at all and and turning them into something that can be very universal and it's and it's a process that I really that I really love that's that's wonderful um, so I will let that be a little bit of a segue into um, telling us 
uh, about the creative process and how you experience that for yourself? Great. That that sounds that sounds great. I you know the the whole subject is you know something that's just really um, near and dear to my heart. And like and like I said, I'm going to use some of my own story um, to you know about how I ended up becoming a published writer um, to sort of illustrate some of that. But I want to be really clear from the front. It's not because I think it's super important for people to know about me um, or how I became published, um, even though my story is probably a little bit unusual um, in the writing world. But um, it's really because I think there's an element to my story, um, this process um, about creativity that I became aware of. And I think that is actually what affects everyone who's listening. Um, It doesn't matter if you're 10 years old or you're 80 um, or somewhere in between or what stage of life you're in. Um, It's kind of important um, for, for everyone, I think. So, you know, I consider myself to be an accidental writer. Um, it was an accident that I worked incredibly hard to make happen <laughs> at some point. But um, and like a lot of other writers I've met over the years, I was not that kid who kept a diary or a journal or sat in a tree dreamily making up stories. Um, I did not write one word that was not assigned to me in school. Um, all of my energy was music. I was a classical pianist, um, and I, well, I didn't mind, I didn't mind performing. In fact, a lot of times I liked it, but what I really loved, um, besides just the music was I loved the teaching. Um, I really loved imparting, um, music to other people and, and figuring out what made them understand, what made them click, um, and I did that for more than 20 years, very happily, with no regrets, with no thought of doing uh, of doing anything else. I really thought my whole life um, was going to be music, but the whole time I was pouring all my energy, you know, into that when I was growing up in college and um, all of those things. I I always have also been a reader. Um, I've always loved books. Everywhere I went, I had a book in my bag or in my hand, and um, what I loved, I just read over and over again, sometimes until the books actually fell apart. Um, I think I'm actually on my maybe 46th reading of Lord of the Rings. I read it many times a year, but at least once a year um, since I was probably 12, and um, I think I was reading like a writer long before I had ever thought about being a writer, because every time I reread those books I loved so much, I was just learning why I loved them. I was learning what made me tick as a creative person without even knowing it. Um, and that's the way it was throughout my life until one thing um, just changed everything and made me take this huge and unexpected left turn and switch careers and exchange my piano keyboard for a computer keyboard um and so it's something that i like to call spark so for me spark is energy that ignites out of nowhere um it's like a flame it's spark is your passion so it's that thing that inspires you um that you can't stop thinking about what you can't shut up about what you want to learn more and more and more about um, spend all your time on and you know it kind of heats you up inside and makes your eyes glow and your pulse 
speed up and it's it's really it's just what lights your fire and that's why i think of it as spark and you know while you may share a spark or two with someone else your particular set of sparks those things that you are passionate about yourself um, those are things that are utterly unique to you um, they're part of what makes you who you are um, and for me so for me the spark that changed everything the spark that sort of began my journey into the world of writing was the Jacobite Rebellion of Scotland in 1745. Um, and it might be a good time for me to pause for a second and say that, you know, I am a history buff and nothing makes me happier than, you know, crawling through someone's old attic or reading 200 year old letters or combing through the dusty paper of the courthouse basement. Um, but as many fellow historians as I've met, as many times as I've been, to schools and libraries and universities, you know, talking about uh, what I think about Spark. And that would be hundreds of times. I have never gotten a hallelujah for the Jacobite Rebellion of Scotland in 1745, uh, so except for once. There was one lady in Louisiana, and that was a very memorable um, night. But, um, you know, that, that Spark is something that I think is unique to me. Um, that passion was was unique and this little piece of history um specifically what happened to one particular family who committed treason to do what they believed was morally right um this story wrapped me up it it would not let me go i was transfixed i was fascinated by them i I read every book I could get my hands on, um, and in the days before everything you ever wanted to know was on the internet, um, the, the lovely people at Interlibrary Loan, like my best friends, I had dozens of manuscripts and old books sent to me, and I even went to Scotland, and I met the descendants of the family that I was studying about, and I saw the places, and I breathed the air, and, you know, their story was just so profound um, and so tragic so real to me, I, I could not let it go. And, you know, the reader in me, that voracious reader, um, couldn't believe that no one had ever written a novel about these people, you know, not a history or a biography, um, but their story told through their eyes and told in a way that others um, could not just read, but experience, you know, that was something that didn't really exist. And so it came a fateful day. Um, it was a really a normal day. I, it was just a day where I happened to walk past my computer with 45 minutes to spare. And an idea just popped into my head. And I thought, what would it be like to create this story that I so wanted to read? What would a first chapter of a book like that even look like? And... So I sat down, and for the very first time, I just started writing, really on a whim. And 45 minutes later, I stood up and decided to change my life. I kept my job and my husband and my children, um, but everything else, um, every other thing I was doing went out the window. I started writing every day, every spare minute. I found professional organizations and started going to conferences and workshops to learn the business and the craft. And 
I found a critique group of other serious writers who would read my work and allow me to read theirs. And so writing, storytelling sunk its hooks into me. They, they sunk in deep. I was absolutely in love with the creativity of it, and, and I still am. And for four years, I worked on what came to be known as the Scottish novel. Um, and I, at the end of four years, I, I had a novel, and I got an agent based on that novel, um, you know, someone who believed in my work and was ready to help me get it ready for publishers and sell it to those publishers. And while I was anxiously waiting around on her thoughts on revisions and how we were going to proceed and what, what our plans were going to be, um, it happened again. Pop, spark. Um, and I guess you just never know when that's going to happen. Um, but this time it was all because I spent a Saturday afternoon researching secret passages. And, I, of course, I don't know why you wouldn't spend a Saturday afternoon researching secret passages. This is the kind of way I would spend my time. But I came across a diary written by a man in the 1870s who had visited a house in Nottinghamshire, England. And the house was named Welbeck Abbey. And it was the most bizarre house I had ever come across. Um, Welbeck was owned by the 5th Duke of Portland, who was known to be an eccentric um, which in Victorian terms basically meant crazy. I think now I think by today's standards, this is really this is an unfair designation. Um, the Duke probably had an anxiety disorder, or he could have been autistic. Um, but these were conditions that were not understood um, in Victorian times at all. Um, but by anyone's standards, he was definitely different. Um, Welbeck was an enormous, sprawling estate. The house was part. Norman Castle, part Abbey, part Georgian additions, but the Duke chose to spend most of his time in his room in a bed with walls built around it, communicating with servants by letter through a slot in his door, but in his room was a trap door, and the trap door led down to miles and miles of underground tunnels. The tunnels were big enough to drive a carriage through, they were gaslit, and no, and one even went beneath a lake. Uh, the tunnels meant that the Duke could go anywhere he wanted on his estate without being seen. So basically no one ever knew where he was. Um, he built an underground ballroom the size of a football field with an underground library the size of another football field right next to it. And the primary function of his ballroom was for roller skating. Um, he built marble-tiled cow sheds, a stable with the largest glass ceiling ever constructed at the time, um, complete with steam heat for the horses. And he had a railroad in his basement um, constructed to deliver roast chickens to his room 24-7 anytime he required roast chicken. And every one of the hundreds of rooms in Wellback Abbey was painted pink. So in order to build all of these things at Wellback, the Duke had to have men, and so he hired a thousand of them. Um, many of them were the itinerant navvies who roamed the countryside looking for work, or they were men from the workhouses. All of them, um, all of them, people in poverty, um, and he brought them and their families to Welbeck, and he built them a village. He built houses, churches, schools. 
um, gave them a steady income for more than 20 years, as well as educating their children, um, all to build bizarre things at Wellbeck. And he squandered his fortune to do it. But he also transformed the lives of more than a thousand families. And, you know, in the end, maybe that wasn't such a crazy way to spend your fortune after all. Maybe it was actually a really cool way to spend a fortune. But all I could think as I was reading this diary was how much I would like to be dropped off at the front door of this house you know, left to explore on my own, you know, never knowing what might be around the corner, um, another pink room or a slightly crazy duke. And so I wrote 10 pages about a girl being dropped off at the front door of this maze of a house with a possibly lunatic uncle somewhere inside. And I turned those pages in for a professional critique at a writing conference. And um, if you're not familiar with how those kinds of conferences work, you can pay for 15 minutes of time with an editor or an agent who will give you feedback on your writing. And this particular conference was given by the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, who I recommend for anyone interested in writing young, young adults or kid lit or any kind of literature, actually. Um, and those 10 pages that I turned in won an award. So cue fireworks. Um, it was the most promising new work award given to one manuscript out of about 600 that had been turned in for critique. And the prize was an all-expense-paid trip to New York to meet with editors who were interested in my work, which was an absolutely huge and unlooked-for opportunity. Um, but I had one enormous problem and that is that editors are interested in books, but I didn't have a book. I had 10 pages of a book and not one word more. And the only novel I had ever written took me four years. Um, and I had 10 months to claim this prize. So I had to come up with something quickly. And I didn't want to come up with just anything. I wanted to come up with something that, that worked. And that made me think, and it made me start asking myself questions, like, what had I done in that Scottish novel that helped me to get the attention of an agent? What had I done in those 10 pages about a girl being dropped off at a bizarre house that helped me to win an award? And that's when I had a huge revelation that again, I feel like changed everything. And that was all about, I realized it was all about Spark. That in some kind of almost magical process, when I ignited that passion, when I poured that passion out onto a page, it was like, it was like, wind blowing embers it was like flame catching to flame one fire starting the next um i realized that spark was not something that was just for me and just unique to me that it's like when you blow on it spark is catching and i needed to make that happen whatever that magic was i needed to make it happen again and I needed to make it catch again and again and so 
this is this will probably tell you a lot about me because <laughs> I went straight from these very idealistic romantic thoughts to uh, something incredibly practical. So I made a list, and it was the most random list you can possibly imagine, but all the things that really just lit my fire, and it had things on it like ancient houses, Scotland, big trees, Jane Eyre, utopias, archery, um, anything that sparked my passion. And so I landed on concepts like the treatment of lunacy in the Victorian age when, you know, insanity was thought to be a possession of by evil spirits, or maybe it was just all your own faults, and places like Bedlam, um, where the insane were like circus attractions, you know, entertainment for people who had nothing better to do, and I marked ideas like OCD and savant syndrome and um, eccentric inventors and mathematicians like Nikola Tesla and Oliver Heaviside. Um, I circled automatons on my list, and went and learned about all the earliest clockwork robots, um, one in particular built in the 1750s, which is considered to be the earliest computer because you could program it to write a message. And, and I thought about a lot about Victorian science in general. Um, that was on my list, when, which was really the first time that people discovered they could change the world. Um, you know, we had lived and gotten our food and gotten our clothes in basically the same ways, you know, for thousands of years, really. Um, and it was really the first time that that people discovered that we as human beings could change our world. We could change the way we lived, that we were capable of almost anything. And I think that, you know, they weren't right about everything, but I think it created a time of hope that I don't think we've ever seen since then. And so... So I took all of these kinds of things from my list, um, all of these passions, and I and I took all my enthusiasm for those things, and and I tried to just pour it onto the page. And I, so I wrote a book about a girl sent to her uncle's bizarre estate to have him committed to a lunatic asylum. Only when she gets there, instead of a lunatic, she discovers a brilliant childlike inventor that makes science seem almost like magic with his machines, um, many of whom are automaton replicas of her dead relatives. And ultimately, this girl has to choose between her uncle and her own inheritance, which is her only hope of freedom. And it's an inheritance that is being squandered to fund this uncle's beautiful clockwork world. And so this is the novel that I took, that I wrote in that nine-month time that I had. And I took that to New York on my prize-winning trip. And on that trip, I sold that novel to Scholastic Press, and that became The Dark and Winding, um, which was my first novel, um, first novel published, I should say. And, of course, ultimately completely um, changed my life. But while I was waiting to hear the author that we all thought was coming, you know, from Scholastic, when we didn't really know what was going to happen yet, um, my agent called and said that, Scholastic wanted to know if I had any thoughts for a sequel. And I will just say that if you're ever in a position where you're waiting to hear, a, you know, about your first book deal and anyone 
asked, do you, do you have thoughts for a sequel? There is really only one correct answer to that question, and that is, why, yes, yes, I do. <laughs> so I said, why, yes, yes, I do, or I will extremely quickly. That's <laughs> what I was thinking. I will have, I will have something together. And they said, great. Um, we, we're really excited to hear that. Have a synopsis on our desk in an hour and a half. And so I had kind of gone from four years to nine months to an hour and a half to pull something together. And so I went straight back to my list and I pulled these, I pulled these concepts out and, and I wrote a synopsis that I thought would be really cool and got it to them. They bought that too. And that book became um, the sequel, A Spark Unseen. And so, you know, this method is working really well for me. So when it, you know, came time for the next book, I went back to my list and looked at some different sparks. And I wrote a gender-swapped retelling of The Scarlet Pimpernel set in a world restarted 800 years after an apocalypse. Um, a world that's lost its history and doesn't know it's experiencing the second French Revolution. And so that became my third book, Rook, which was based on all those things that I love. And then I did it again and wrote a book about a group of people in a walled city who forget everything every 12 years. And they forget their names, their children, the people they love, every, all their personal information, even, even their crimes. And the society deals with this problem by writing their lives in a book worn on the body all the time. And that, of course, the question is, are you writing what's real in your book or what you want to think is real after you forget? Um, and that book became The Forgetting. And then I went to the list and wrote a companion to that book um, where I just flipped everything backwards and wrote about a world where now it is impossible to forget where no one can forgive and no one can heal because nothing ever, no feeling ever leaves your head. And that became um, my fifth book, you know, The Knowing. And so, like, all of all of those things, it was sort of a, I guess, an unusual way to become a writer and maybe an unusual way to decide, um, you know, what what you want to be creative about or what you want, what you want um to come out in your books. Um, but, you know, I, I guess I think what's important about that story is not the fact that, you know, I, I made a left turn and got these books published and that that's the way I tend to, to do things. I think, I think what's important about it is that part that I think affects everyone. Um, and it's that whole idea of spark because, I'm not the only one that has that. Everyone has that spark inside them. Everyone has that passion. And what we are passionate about, I think, defines such a huge part of who we are. And so, you know, I guess I'm really not talking about writing right now um, because I don't think it matters if you want to be a writer or an artist or a musician or, you know, an incredible librarian or an entrepreneur or an accountant. Um, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you've already had your career. When, when you find that, that spark, when you find that passion, I think it creates a voice and it 
because that spark is unique to you, I think it creates a voice that is different than everyone else's. Um, and that is something that can be applied anywhere, doing anything. And, you know, when so when you spark that, whatever it is, when, when you find that creative voice that belongs to you and only you, that, that spark is something that catches. It goes flame to flame from person to person. Like, I feel like it went out of my writing into the person who was reading it. And I think that's something that really lights up the world. Um, it makes other people see and hear. It makes other people look. Um, but, you know, all those things that I was passionate, that I am passionate about, all those all those sparks, um, those things that lit my fire and, you know, made me want to write books and Jacobite Rebellion and Welbeck Abbey and, you know, made other people want to read those books. I, I think it's really important to remember that I've never actually done any of those things. You know, I've never been to Welbeck Abbey or experienced the Jacobite, Jacobite Rebellion or I've never been in a bone-filled crypt in Paris or, you know, seen Hedge Roll of Eating or I've never forgotten my entire history or remembered every single thing I've ever seen or heard. Um, I've never actually experienced any of those things that I'm passionate about. What I have mostly done is read about them. So for all those things on my list, that are sparks for me that I'm so passionate about. I would say maybe 75% of those things I learned about exclusively from books. So I'm, I'm not saying that you can't be inspired by art or travel or movies or a dozen other different things. Um, but I do think that books are the best resource of spark that there is because books allow your mind to explore new places and see things in a way that other media can't. Books tend to change our perspective, I think. Um, they expand our perspective. They allow us to experience what others have experienced through story. And so all those years that I was such a voracious reader, all those years of reading, I realized all I was doing was catching other people's sparks. I was catching what they had in their turn poured onto the page. And I that was catching inside me. And I was taking that flame and making it my own. And it is like a magical process, I think. It's something that really can't be defined. But I think it's been going on from the beginning of time. And, and I know I'm really glad it has, because if we didn't do that, if we just caught, you know, other people's um, passions and, and expressed them in the exact same way, then, you know, the world would be pretty monotonous. You know, smaller houses would look the same, or, you know, all, the, our, all our art would look the same, people would look the same. But what changes that, I think, is that when we catch that flame, we catch those and we turn it and make them uniquely our own. And so I think that's a completely world-changing 
process. I, I think that that creativity, that spark, that passion absolutely changes the world. Um, because when we find that and we light that fire, we discover that voice and, and make it our own, it's like, it's like lightning. It travels out of us. It travels across the sky. It just, it travels the world. Um, we, we pass that on. And I think that's what, that's what we have to keep on doing. Um, that is what the world needs. It needs all those different sparks, all those different voices, those different creative voices. Um, I think if, you know, the world is going to be a better place, then we have to have all those different kinds. It's needed. Um, mine, yours, you know, whoever is listening. Um, so I think it's our job to go out there and, and to find them. Um, I think we have, well, I think we have to, I think we have to find what lights that fire for us. So, you know, if that means reading 500 books or traveling or watching movies about traveling or whatever, whatever it is that we need to do, I really, really think it's mostly about the reading, but I do think it's our job to find that in ourselves and to pour that out into whatever it is that we're doing. And I think that is what will change the world, set it on fire. Yeah, that's that's really fantastic, Sharon. And I I know I'm inspired, and I think our listeners will be too, uh, listening to all that you've told us today. Um, well, thanks. I, I hope so. I, I really, I, I've talked about this lots of times, I think, but I, I don't get tired of talking about it because I really do believe that it's that's hugely important. And I don't think we think a lot of times that our voices are the ones that are needed but but they are absolutely i think that's great advice and i'm going to go ahead if it's all right with you and share um your contact uh your page and uh all your books with our listeners uh once we put together this podcast and i'm looking forward to reading some of them myself in fact so (laughs) great i hope you enjoy them well, fantastic. And I, I once again would like to thank you very much for, for joining us today and sharing all your experiences with, with our listeners. I think they're really going to enjoy this. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. hope you go out and read some books and find, find your own spark. Thank you, Sharon. I really appreciate it.